We are nearing the end of the week, which means you got to make sure you get your entries in for our WGT challenge. We'll choose a win winner on Friday, as always, based on who was the closest to the hole. And this week, the hole is number one at Congressional. So make sure you download the World Golf Tour app via freewgt.com. That's, that's how they'll know that you heard about it from us. Then you're going to go in. You're going to go to game modes. You're going to go to closest to the hole challenge. You're going to go to congressional and play that first hole and send us your results. Whoever's closest is going to win. And just by playing, you enter yourself into the grand prize drawing. Each week is another entry in for you. And the winner of that is going to get a jersey of their choice or tickets to a game. So that's pretty cool. So make sure you get in and play free WGT.com to play World Golf Tour. Welcome in to the BSN Broncos podcast, which is presented, as always, by Strava Craft Coffee. The code is BSN2019. The deal is 20% off, and the coffee is rich and tasty. Make sure you get in on that. Use code BSN2019 to get 20% off your next shipment, Strava Craft Coffee. Well, Zach is out today, so it's just the RK and Mace show. How you doing, Mace? I'm doing all right. Look out. No Zach. Uh, what will people do without his angelic laughter? I don't know. That you're we see just, often referred to in the comments. Yes, you're just going to have to giggle along to every stupid thing I say. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but Zach will be on the, uh, the Denver Sports Podcast today. That's what he's doing. And then, of course, he'll be back here to take his job uh, on the Bulls beat, as we've deemed it. Because Zach's last three stories have all been about Garrett Bowles, and then the people are soaking in the content. And I imagine because Joe Flacco is talking today, we'll hear from him about Garrett Bowles. We have not heard really from the quarterback of the Denver Broncos at this point, and may hear from some others in the locker room. The Bowles beat may be sustaining itself with one article a day, every day, right up until the Packers game on Sunday. Right up until he gets benched, or never gets benched so then it'll just go on forever what if he has a holding penalty though sunday at lambeau a it's a, that it's, would be a, mo a step in the right direction oh <laughs> man that's sad but uh, what's the react i mean obviously it's a road game so you won't have the same visceral exasperation from seventy thousand people well, probably more like sixty thousand because there were a lot of bears fans there at empower field on sunday but I think Broncos Twitter may crash Twitter if Garrett Bowles gets a holding penalty, especially if it's early in the game. Oh, man. I, I don't see it as an if. I only see it as a when. Well, the other thing is when you get that reputation, one thing that Garrett – I don't like Garrett Bowles kind of blaming the refs, saying he doesn't deserve that reputation, but here's the thing. Once you get it, they look for it. And which Constantly. means you got to stop doing yes. it. Yes. you got to. It's adapt or die. 
yep. for Garrett Bowles. And even John Elway said he has to under. This is what's crazy to me. Everyone's talking about how Garrett needs to understand what he's doing wrong. How do you not understand it after two plus years? That's what I'm saying. Like he's not a rookie. It should be very clear to him. You can't get your hands outside. You can't finish the guy into the ground and land on top of them. Well, when you have coaches talking about how Dalton Reisner is here to help settle down Garrett Bowles and help Garrett Bowles get on the right path, when has a rookie ever, ever been asked to help a veteran get settled down? That, that's just unheard of. You almost, you know, it's always the other way. It says a lot about, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's, they can't, it's like they can't admit they're wrong. About Garrett Bowles. Can't admit they missed. They admitted they missed on Paxton Lynch, but Garrett Bowles seems to continue to get a pass. Yeah, well, it's that 90% thing, and, and maybe we're even being generous on the 90%. Maybe it's 85%. That's what keeps them coming back, and I think they truly thought that adding Mike Munchak was like a cover-up, was going to be the, you know, the, the magic dust on top of Garrett Bowles, and, and maybe one day it will be. You, know, you can't expect... Mike Munchak to undo a lifetime worth of bad habits in a couple months. But we've talked about this before. And, and the truth is one, one, you get one chance. Like if it doesn't ever come together for him this season, there's no way they're taking that fifth year option. And there's no way they can, they can willingly go into next season with that as their left tackle. Yeah. If they don't pick up the fifth year option, then whether it's free agency or the draft, the left tackle of the future, if not the present, is going to be on the roster for the 2020 season. They may try to get by with Garrett Bowles for one more year. They may, may try to bump him inside or find some way to, to get some value out of him. But uh, yeah, if, if this continues, you, you cannot possibly pick up the fifth-year option. And that leads me to ask you this, Ryan. What does he have to do going forward to compel you to pick up that fifth-year option. What would you need to see from him over the last 14 games? Well, he's got five holding calls right now. He's yeah. already So he's already halfway, halfway to his rookie total of 10, and he had nine last year. I, in the, it, I'm putting myself in what I think John Elway would do. I'm giving him a clean slate from here on out. So he has to show me from right now on that he can eliminate those those holding penalties and it's got to stay I mean what's a good left tackle not a great left tackle what's a good left tackle have in a season four yeah three or four so I'm gonna give him a clean slate from here on out and say four or less from from week three on and gosh that's like one game the way he's playing Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, but that's how short this leash has to be. And, and I'm already being generous by erasing the first five. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can erase the first five. Um, but then you're going to be asking uh, – because if he gets four, he still had one less than last season, which is not good. But based on the pace, I mean, that means four over the course of 14 weeks. That's good, that's good ball. Yeah. And it's ball that he hasn't shown no. over the course of his career. So – yeah, I'm I'm skeptical. We'll see. But here's the problem. He had a holding issue in college. He's having the same problem in the NFL. Again, it goes back to something the Broncos did for a long time in terms of personnel acquisition, which is go for higher upside guys, but under the belief that we can fix them, that 
our coaching is better. Our environment is better. We can get them right. I mean, this is Donald Stevenson. This is Menelik Watson. It's Garrett Bowles. The belief that you can get that you can get this guy in your system and somehow you're going to be the cure-all. You're going to be the fix. To me, honestly, that's, a, that's an intellectually arrogant place to operate. And because of that, I think it's led to some personal mistakes. Even Paxton Lynch, we had a lot of work to do on him. But you think you can get him right, and now he's a practice squad quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I thought he had. I thought he had a family in Seattle. What they already abandoned him. Well, it's the whole thing of football as family is one of those notions that I think is a crock, because what kind of family casts a third of its members out on one day? <laughs> Probably those uh, polygamist, uh, fundamentalist Mormon uh, families in back corners of Utah and Arizona where you hear about them throwing out uh, the, the excess male children because they, they don't have marriage opportunities or they threaten somebody who's higher up. That's a dysfunctional family. That's not a family. <laughs> uh, and speaking of dysfunction within the family, Emmanuel Sanders had some interesting words yesterday about what he called his brother. He said, obviously I'm going to keep trying to talk to Bulls and see if we can get him right in understanding what he's doing. Because obviously to say, oh, he'll be all right, is not okay. Can't disagree. Mm-hmm. He went on to say he needs to understand that he is doing something wrong because they keep throwing flags on him and he keeps holding. I'm going to talk to him and hopefully we keep breaking down the film and just see him make that jump and get that off his back because it's been happening for like two or three years. And then he was asked if he talks to him. And he said, I've talked to him. Everybody's trying to talk to him. That's not a good thing. No, because now he's going to be hearing all these different people in his ear. And the, the best chance for Garrett Bowles, quite frankly, is to hear one voice in his ear, maybe two, Munchak and Cooper. Not everybody. I mean, I think he knows he's, he, he knows he's holding. How can he not know that this is a problem? How can he not grasp this? I'm sure on some level he understands the problem. I'm just sure that I'm not. Sure, I'm just not sure. Pardon me, that he's capable of doing the things to correct it. Because again, you're talking about some habits in his play that are clearly ingrained. Because shocker, player who had holding problem in college has had the same problem in the NFL. Who he is? This quote here: He needs to understand that he's doing something wrong because they keep throwing flags on him and he keeps holding. Doesn't th- I mean? That's have you damning. ever heard a player say that about another player? No. He needs to understand. I mean, doesn't it sound like something your wife would tell you about one of your kids? Yes. Like she and, needs and, to understand that what she's doing is wrong. You need to go tell her that. And when you drafted him, you drafted him as a twenty-four going on twenty-five-year-old rookie. Uh, what the hell? And we're and we're talking about him like he's a toddler. Yes. It's bad, oh. and I don't necessarily blame Emmanuel. For saying what he said, but that doesn't happen. Obviously, it doesn't happen when things are going well. If the Broncos were 2-0 and and Garrett Bowles had five holds, you probably still wouldn't hear that. Well, reading between the lines of his comments and just getting a general sense of the frustration in the locker room, it reminds me a little of Isaiah McKenzie in 2017. With all the fumbles. And I remember in Miami in particular when 
he ended up getting a safety. Because he fumbled it into his own end zone. Because he fumbled it into his own end zone. And on the sideline at that moment, there were, even though the game was basically lost, there was a lot of frustr- There was a lot of frustration. You had guys wondering why is he in the lineup? What has he done? And what happened with Isaiah McKenzie as the mistakes mounted, and they kept him in the lineup was the perception became that he's still there and he hasn't earned it. So there's no accountability for him that there is for others on the team. Not to mention he got the job before he earned it. Right. They they just handed it to him. They said, here, you're going to be the punt returner. And that didn't sit well with a lot of the Broncos. And I think they look at this and the spate of holding penalties, and some players look and say, well, if I had a run like this where I was costing the team week after week, possession after possession, they wouldn't keep me out there. They put somebody else in, yet Garrett Bowles is still going out there for every snap. That's why, I, even though I know that there really aren't any good options right now in the wake of Jawan James's injury, how could you not at least pull him on the sideline for a possession? Put Elijah Wilkinson at left tackle, Jake Rogers at right tackle, and just hold your breath because he needed to at least be pulled for a possession and have coaches going over stuff with him, reset him mentally. Throwing him out there over and over again didn't help. Do you think Garrett knows that nothing can can take his job away from him at this point? Well, it's a good question because if John Elway is talking about getting Garrett Bowles to understand, if players are saying that as well, what does he understand? That's that's frightening. And it's sort of the same things we said about uh, Paxton Lynch as well. That mentally he's not in a proper frame of mind. I remember um, after practice one day in 2017, and uh, Matt McChesney, of course, you can listen to his podcast here on uh, BSN Denver. Um, Matt joined... Uh, me, Ryan Edwards, and Steve Atwater on the radio over on 760 when we were doing a show there. And Matt said that when Garrett, when, when, pardon me, when Paxton Leach was walking off the field, he went to a tent, and I guess his family was there, and what Paxton Leach said was, after a decent day, well, they can't cut me now. He was already the third-teamer. But he, that just shows what sort of... <laughs> What sort of, I hate to say delusion, but that's kind of the word. You're, you're detached from the reality of the situation if you're having a good day at practice when you've, after you've been demoted to the third team and you're saying that. And I wonder if, uh, if Garrett Bowles is failing to understand what's wrong if you're hearing you know, from Elway and others that he's got to understand that you know, it's wrong and he's got to fix it. Where is, where is he mentally? I, I don't even want to know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, and I think that behind closed doors – not as uh, an encouragement, I don't think it would be as, hey, you're the guy. But it's more like, look, Garrett, you're the guy. And you have to get this figured out because no one is coming here to save you. Yep. Get him good or get him gone. That's what Tom Donahoe used to say. Well, I ho- the, the problem is I don't know if, the, if get him gone is an option. And, and, that's, no. and that's why we are where we are. Yeah, it's, it's not an option, certainly not this year. Uh, and, unless you trade for Trent Williams. 
Well, you talked about the sideline being um, exasperated, exasperated by Isaiah McKenzie. And you have to imagine that similar feelings are going around. And, and to be honest, I have it from sources that there are some there is massive frustration with Garrett. And we've seen it before. Remember Brandon McManus back in 2014? And this is the visible thing that everybody saw because it was on camera. But McManus misses a kick against Miami, and he's been in a slump. And you've got Demarius Thomas slamming his helmet. You've got Manny Ramirez yelling, come on! Just losing it over there. And How about uh, Aqib Tlaib shoving Jordan Norwood? Yes. This is what, this is what happens when... You have one guy who's letting the team down, and you have plenty of others who feel like they're pulling their weight. In the case of veterans, we can debate, uh, you know, how much some of the veterans are helping, but you got guys with skins on the wall, as John Fox used to say. And here's a guy who's been among the worst starters at his position over the last two years. And so... What that leads me to ask you is, in the age of empowerment mm-hmm. here in the NFL, as you mentioned yesterday, is is it going to be too much for some of these guys? And, and are they, like we're seeing in some of these other places where, where teams are struggling, are they going to be asking for trades? Is anyone in this, t- is in this locker room going to be pushed over the edge? Yeah, I think if they lose Sunday, you may see some guys making some requests. At 0-3, it's... At 0-3 with the games to come, including Kansas City at home, uh, Tennessee, that's a coin flip game, but historically the Titans are the type of team that causes this Broncos team a lot of problems because they're power-based. The Chargers, you're not going to be a favorite in that one. I think at 0-3 you may see some some of the... cracks becoming full-on canyons and you may see guys asking for traits and here's here's the thing is we talked about this as a positive in the offseason and and at that time it was a positive and if things start going well it really is a positive and that's the fact that this team has so many guys in contract years let's talk about chris harris jr when i asked him at his press conference yesterday about what was going on in 2015 what they did to contain aaron Rodgers, because they broke Aaron Rodgers for a little bit. Yep. He wasn't the same for about a year. He eventually did return to being the Aaron Rodgers that we knew before. But for a while, wasn't the same. So I asked what they did to contain him. And I just thought, I thought maybe he'd have a nice little retrospective answer and kind of reflect on a game that was a signature game for the Broncos that season. I would say it was their best performance of that world title year. Easily. Yeah. And he said, we were able to play man-to-man and bring the heat every time. We can't do that. It's hard to do that now. Yep. It's reality. Yes. I mean, Chris is very realistic about things. Here's the thing. Honestly, if you had Bryce Callahan, you might be able to. But but how healthy is Bryce Callahan going to be? Right. I'm this just saying, if problem, you had him at, at full right. strength. Yeah. You, you might get Bryce Callahan back. I don't know if you're going to get the Bryce no. Callahan before he first hurt, the, hurt that first before he first hurt that foot. That's actually an, uh, un, an underrated tongue twister there. Before he there. first hurt first that hurt foot. That foot. Before he first hurt that foot. Before it's one of those phrases that, that reads well, but doesn't. It, it isn't pleasing to say. It isn't it is. pleasing to the ear. When he first hurt that foot last it's year. It's all the Fs. Yes. For first foot. 
crumb crisp coating. <laughs> hey, you, hey, you've heard the Orson Welles. I uh, know. You should, okay, sometime go look up Orson Welles' Frozen Peas. And basically it's him trying to do frozen food commercials, but he goes off on the wording of it. Like oh. something, like, like talking about how you, you know, where you place in July, you know, how it's written. Do you remember, have you seen the viral video of the guy saying he's, tr- he's doing the commercial for like Marie Callender's yes. and he's doing a buttery, flaky crust? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's all kind of based off the whole Orson Welles doing it because it was in the early 70s and Orson was in his uh, pitch man phase. Okay. And with his, you know, resonant voice. And actually, years later, they parodied this on Pinky and the Brain because... The brain, the voice by Maurice LaMarche, the voiceover artist, the voice was based off of Orson Welles. And so they did a cartoon where they, he, he based, they had the brain reading everything almost to the letter. There was one thing that was a little too adult and he had to change for a kid's cartoon. But yeah, he's, like, he's talking about the phrasing. And, but one phrase he does, like, it says, ooh, crumb crisp coating. <laughs> Uh, learn anyway, something new every day. On yeah, you should podcast. watch that on YouTube. It's it's funny. All I right, think. all right. Um, so somehow we got there from talking about the Broncos the, demanding trades and what first f- hurt his foot. Bryce Callahan yes. hasn't been the same. You hope he can help you, but I'm not expecting the Bryce Callahan that was dominant at points last year. But what I was getting at there when talking about players and contract years is like in 2015. All those guys were in contract years, but they were rolling and they were playing off each other and talking about, hey, if we keep playing like this, we're all going to get paid. Mm -hmm. The opposite now can happen if the wheels fall off here because these guys are thinking, hey, we keep losing like this. We look bad. That guy over there isn't doing my job, which is hurting me. I got to get out of here because I'm trying to get paid. Bingo. And you start thinking, all right, if I go somewhere else and they're playing better and others are playing better around me, then... I'll show what I can do, and then when it's March and it's contract time, maybe I'm getting a contract with my new team, or I can say, well, I was doing this in Denver, but then look what happened to me when I got to insert name here. Look it's, at guys like Brandon Marshall and Todd Davis, mm-hmm. um, or m- mostly Brandon. Look, you know, He was a product of a defense who was so good around him that it allowed him to do his job very well but -hmm. all of a sudden you take away some of those pieces you take away the protection he had in front of him and he got exposed a little bit and it it proved he wasn't uh you know worthy of the contract that he was given guys can see stuff like that and say the opposite is happening to me i'm not able to do what i do best because the guys around me can't do it so i need to go you know like you don't think chris harris jr would uh like to go to los angeles and play corner in Wade's scheme. He's given every indication that he would like to be with Wade Phillips again at some point. Every so- the way he commented about Wade Phillips during training camp when he talked about how you know Wade Phillips uplifted the guys. When I heard that, I thought, why have this line of praise about Wade Phillips? Is there, is there something in comparison that is lacking here right now? Yes. Uh, And I think, you know, Vic Fangio is, for lack of a better term, earmuffs a hard ass. And that can work. Um, But, but for a comment like that, 
to surface kind of tells me that maybe these guys miss being built up a little bit. You know, Wade, I think, was definitely there to tell you when you were wrong. But, but he did it in a different way. And okay. I think I think there are some guys that respond better to the pat on the shoulder rather than the kick in the ass. Pardon the expression. Yeah. But there are some there are guys who respond better to the, the kick in the ass. And a key for a coaching staff as a whole, because sometimes the pat on the shoulder is gonna not gonna come from the head coach, it's gonna come from the assistant. A good example. When Mike Shanahan was here, Jake Plummer went downhill after Gary Kubiak left for Houston. It wasn't a coincidence because Kubes was the guy who could basically be the one who reassured players on the offensive side because Mike Shanahan wanted things just perfectly and if done just perfectly. And if they weren't, then he'd let you know about it. But Kubiak, for those first 11 years that Mike Shanahan was was head coach, was always there to kind of soften it a little bit. And that's just his style. Now, as we saw when Kubiak became a head coach, he could be tough when he needed to be. But he was definitely more of the empathetic type of presence that you sometimes need as a buffer or a contrast to a coach who's a type A. And you know what uh, helps... Drown, what helps balance out the negativity is wins. Yes. If you win football games. Then everyone believes. All of a sudden you got beat down. And I don't think Vic Fangio is that hard on these guys to the point mm. of where they're feeling like emotionally distressed. No, but, I don't think so either. But I think he's asking some different things of them. Right. Schematically. So you, you, he, the coach is hard on you all week and hard on you all week and hard on you all week. And then you win. And you all celebrate in the locker room. And Vic's probably like doing some like dumb dance move or something like that. And everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. And then it resets the whole thing. And then you go back in the week and you say, hey, all that stuff he said was right. And that's why I keep saying if they lose to Green Bay, if they lose, because I think a win at Lambeau Field changes everything for it does. this team. Every, you know, I, I don't. There are some that are going to say, "Oh, it's a, it's an interconference game, so it's not as important as the others." Oh, bull, no. uh, bull plop. This could be the most important game on the schedule because I think this is the fork in the road moment for the Broncos in I terms don't even, of what their outlook looks like, what they do with the trade deadline, et cetera. Obviously, if you win the game, then there might be more important games down the road. Right. But, but you, this is the game that would have made them important. Right. So in some ways, this would remain the most important. Yeah, this, this is uh, the catalyst. It's going to be a catalyst one way or another. It's going to be a catalyst for getting this thing turned around, or it's going to be a catalyst for this plane going down. And that's scary. Because well, it's always scary when you start talking about plane going down as an analogy. I mean, sorry, <laughs> but I, I mean, it, I use the plane analogy a lot because I talk about like, uh, like Joe Flacco can be the pilot; he can't be the plane. Or is he the pilot who's taking, who's handling the takeoff, or is he the pilot who's making sure things stay on the level at cruising altitude? Yeah, that guy. Yes. Uh, so basically for a long haul flight, you have what they call like sometimes they'll take turns in the cockpit. You'll have a relief crew. So it'd be one crew that gets it up. But then when that crew goes to take a rest or whatever, because it's a long haul flight from London to Singapore or something like that, then at cruising altitude, the other crew is taking over. Yes. OK, there you go. He's that guy. But but like look at you look at Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the plane itself. Yes. 
So, As we've seen with the Packers over the years. Yeah, exactly. The Scott Tolzien era. Yeah, oh, and not to mention, if Aaron Rodgers isn't right, that thing's not getting off the ground. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, it's scary because the Broncos are, what, six-and-a-half-point dogs? As it changed, it started as eight-and-a-half, right? Okay. They're, bit, they're, lar- they're large underdogs. And so we're pointing to – you're right, it did start at eight-and-a-half. We're pointing to a game here where the world expects them to lose and not only lose but lose by a considerable amount that's like a 15 point underdog in college football yeah and so we're pointing at this game and saying if they don't win it then the season could be over right in front of our eyes any given sunday right that's burt bell used to say on any given sunday any team can beat any other team that was the best part of the nfl the broncos have moved to seven and a half point dogs okay and just to give you perspective, if you're not, you know, someone who understands this type of stuff, it's three to one for them to win the game. They're getting three to one odds to win the game. If you bet a hundred dollars on the Broncos and they win, you would make three hundred dollars. If you bet, um, you would have to bet three hundred and seventy-seven dollars on the Packers to win one hundred dollars. Ooh. So, just to give you a sense of of what the smart people even smarter than us probably are thinking of this game is they don't think it's close and yet we're sitting here telling you the season's hanging in the balance but there's a way to win there is we'll get into it tomorrow but there's a way to win this game there is a way to win this game and there's a way for you to win every day of your life and that is by drinking Breckenridge beers (laughs) (laughs) there's no losses when there's a Breck beer in your hand and we personally love the Strawberry Sky or the Vanilla Porter or even the Avalanche Amber Ale. Speaking of the Avalanche, I went and saw an Avalanche preseason game last night. Just, so just you so have you know. to. You can't go watch them on television. Exactly. Not to mention um, preseason hockey, not any better than preseason football. Would not recommend. <laughs> Please tell me you got in for free. I did get in for free. Okay, and I got to sit go. in the suite. So, so things could be worse. Sweet. You sat in a suite. Yes. Sweet uh, is better than the press box. For preseason football, but still preseason, not good. It's hockey, though. I mean, there's a lot of excitement about this season. Maybe not as much if they, maybe I, not as much given contract negotiations. But um, I just wanted to see what what I, I wanted to be around people who had hope again. Anyways, what, you didn't find that in Boulder the last couple of weeks. That's true. That's true. But it, it had been a few days. <laughs> Anyways, uh, check out Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, check out the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. That's where you can find out about our tailgates or any watch parties that we're doing. And also, while you're at it, check out the Green Solution. The Green Solution has 17 Colorado locations and an express checkout to get you in and out as fast as possible. Get on your phone right now. Go to their website, mygreensolution.com. Order your flour, your concentrates, and your edibles and topicals online and head to the closest Green Solution for pickup. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. And like May said, tomorrow we'll talk about the solution to beat the green, which will be presented by the green solution. Anyways, let's jump into the questions here, Mace. I'll let you take the first one. All right, let's get started with this question from Rob. Guys, it's been a while since I commented, so let me start by welcoming Mace to the community. I always liked his mailbag. Maybe he could do a special edition of the podcast for his mailbag once a week or something. Just throwing it out there. It's not the worst idea in the world. 
But he also does have the mailbag Written on bsndenver.com. That's true. Every week as well. So, I felt bad about the Bears' loss, but I want to add some optimism here. That's the spirit. The Bears were 12-4 and last season, and they were a missed field goal away from the NFC Championship. They're not a bad team, and we were one second away from winning. We also scored more points against this Bears defense than Aaron Rodgers-led offense did the week before. 0-2 sucks, but it's not all doom and gloom. I think this team has the ability to surprise people against the Packers. They do. They do. I mean, it's going to come down to, um, without getting too much into what we're going to talk about tomorrow, to me, just turnovers. That's job number one. You've got to start forcing turnovers. You've got to get some takeaways from Green Bay's offense. You do that, you you have a shot. There's obviously a very strong connection between takeaways and turnover margin and success or failure in the win-loss ledger. So, it starts there. There are a few other things I think the Broncos can do. That's part of uh, what I'm madly researching and we'll also be writing about tomorrow as well. Well, Mace, last year on the podcast, we had a commenter named Colin for Mullins. And he, after every game, would write us a poem about the game. And they were great. But he has since gone missing. We miss you, Colin for Mullins. But T-Dubs <laughs> wrote us a poem. And it's helping fill the Colin for Mullins voids. He says, this is called Damn Good by T-Dubs. From damn good beers to damn good stories about our heartbreaking losses and our victory glories. With damn good podcast hosts who bring out the fun to adding Andrew Mason and being second to none. It's damn good coverage that cannot be beat from the bachelorette talk or the best places to eat. Or damn good discussions like holes in a straw or never, or never having a hot pocket, which should be against the law. It's a damn good community with damn good friends. That's why I'm so thankful. So damn thankful for BSN. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. That's a damn well good Well done, T-bu- T-Dubs. Appreciate you, man. Yes, that was thank you. terrific. From NJ Nihalo. Nihalo. Nice. Oh, my God. I'm so excited for the BSN tailgate for the Jags game. I'm flying in Wednesday night from Knoxville because I'm going to a wedding with my girlfriend on Friday. She surprised me with tickets to the game, but after an 0-2 start and the fact that it's the Jags, my excitement was starting to fade. Now that I know I'll be able to meet the fellas along with a bunch of BSN listeners, I'm even more excited. Ryan, I hope you're ready to shotgun a beer. Mace, Zach, you're more than welcome to join in, but I figured that'd be more of a Ryan <laughs> thing. <laughs> Maybe I can bring the flabongo up from Boulder. Ooh. I'm also starting a tattoo sleeve while I'm in Boulder. My idea is to have each part of the sleeve be a place where I've lived and have a local artist do each tattoo. Wow. I was born in Boulder, and after I get this tattoo, I'll be adding Oregon, Rochester, New York, and then Knoxville, Tennessee. Clearly plenty to be excited about, and I can't wait to see y'all soon. That sounds awesome. I uh, can't wait to see how uh, it looks. Hopefully we'll see it before, or hopefully you're getting that work done before the game so we can get a look at it. Yeah, you're Mr. CU in Boulder, Ryan. What would you choose as a tattoo representation of Boulder? The flat irons? Yeah, I've always thought it would be cool to have like a minimalist uh, tattoo. Obviously, it wouldn't fit in the sleeve, probably. But I've always thought it'd be cool to have like a min- minimalist tattoo of the flat irons. Um, maybe you could add in, I don't know, like one of the flat irons had from really long time ago has CU mm-hmm. like lightly uh, dyed into it, so yeah. you could get that like in there as well. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking what he'd do for other places. Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, if you're not a UT person. I don't. I mean, the Sun Sphere, which is the tower they built for the 1982 World's Fair, which actually was referenced and central to the plot of a Simpsons episode. 
<laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. But I mean, to get a sleeve, you got to have some more stuff. So maybe he'll have like little, like maybe like a str- like a street sign from yeah. the, the house he lived on. Well, that's pretty cool too. Stuff like that. All right. Um, oh, an upstate garbage plate responds to him and says, "If you're looking for a great artist in Rochester, I recommend Sean Kahn of the Ultimate Tattoo in Henrietta." The the amount of resources that we have. I know, and and the the spread of our li- our listeners, it just. It blows me away. I mean, this is a truly global spot. The one thing we haven't done recently is put a sh- is a global shout out to see if we get. Oh uh, yeah, we stopped doing it after it ended. Maybe we can start a new train. Yeah. Uh, you want you want to give a country and a city today? Yeah, I will uh, give a, a country and a city. Let's go to um, let's go to Germany. Okay. We're gonna go to Frankfurt. Frankfurt, Germany. Frankfurt, Germany. If you're from Frankfurt, Germany, comment and make sure uh, you let us know that you're listening. I feel like we'll get one. All right, next one's from Jack Double Magnum. Short and sweet question. Any chance our first round pick next year is a left tackle like Tristan Wirfs or somebody else with similar upside and we can kick Bowles inside to guard? I think you're going to kick him. It's just not going to be inside. It's going to be out the door. Uh, I think Bowles will still be under contract near uh, next year, but it's pretty obvious he can't play tackle in this league. Zero trade value, I'm guessing. This type of performance continues. Seems like a waste to cut him. Might be the only option. Don't imagine he take the move too well. Though. Well, it's the whole sunk cost fallacy. Why, you know, you, you can you've already paid him. You know what you're paying him. Why do you continue to, you know, to keep giving him shots? You know, you have to pay him regardless. You could probably find equivalent production or maybe better uh, moving on from him. So if he doesn't stick at left tackle and he does, and I think they might give him a brief look at left guard, but he might not be the projected starter. It might be okay. Let's just see what he can do. Right, but uh, that that would be the extent of it. Uh, P.S. Any word on Bryce Callahan? Uh, bleeping bricks over here thinking about Aaron Rodgers picking on Yadam all day long on Sunday. The wait and see thing. I think Bryce Callahan should be should at least play. Don't know how much he will, but all signs are trending in that direction. The fact that he was back on the field last week for practice after sitting out a little. He sat out Wednesday, practiced Thursday and Friday. That was a, a positive sign. This one from Colvis. Do you have something to add? Or no, I was just going to tell you to, to scroll down at the very bottom. He has a too long didn't read to get to the point of his question. Right. We like so that. I like that. So Colvis, are you hopefully you'll um, understand that we're just going to go to too long didn't read here. Yeah, he told us this. it was okay. Yeah. Number one, does Royce have a chip on his shoulder because he feels he should be the starter? No, not really. I think he understand. I think he gets the role. I think he gets to one and one a right now. Yeah, I mean he is the starter, just yeah. as much as Phil is. It's too bad that you can't. I mean, they, there are two running back packages in. It would, it's too bad that they don't actually, for the first game, first play of each game, come out in a package that best reflects who the quality players on offense are. Right, a two-back shotgun package that had Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman because they're both basically starters. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Number two, do, do the long off-season practices make players not play at a 100% at the beginning of games and that is nullifying the strength of this team defending leads? That's a really good question because um, obviously in this era, since the 2011 CBA, there are limits on how long you can practice, what you can do on, da- on a daily basis. Two-a-days are gone. That second practice each day has to be a walkthrough, and that's it. So guys can't you know, be pushed in a way that they were before. Now, that being said, I'm going to tell you an example from a long time ago. I remember uh, Ray Perkins took over as Tampa Bay Bucks coach in 1987, and he'd come from Alabama. He'd been the head coach of the New York Giants before, drafted Lawrence Taylor, et cetera. And um, 
he literally had the guys doing three a day some days. I kid you not. <laughs> now, asterisk on that, two of those three practices were just for an hour, and he, they were basically taking them and splitting them up because they were trying to dodge thunderstorms in the summer Tampa heat mm. that, are, that are common down there. But it was a very rough training camp practice. I remember seeing, watching practices when I was 11 years old, going out there and seeing the University of Tampa and being stunned at how they were being pushed in the heat. You're trying to toughen up. You're trying to weed out the roster. Worked for a while. They started all, actually started off four and three, and then they lost their last eight in a row. They wore oh. it down. So sometimes it hits in different ways if you've been pushed too far. Sometimes you wear down over the course of a season. Sometimes you wear down over the course of a game. Some, I, I think, actually, it's not that players aren't playing 100% at the beginning of games. I think on the offensive side especially, it's that you see a different game, different em- points of emphasis in Rich Gangrello's p- play calling when they're behind in the fourth quarter and they're in catch-up mode than for the rest of the game. And we saw a few elements of the late-game work Earlier in the game, like we saw a little more no huddle throughout the game on Sunday against Chicago. I'd like to see more of that. By the way, uh, had this out on Twitter, retweeted this. Broncos, I believe, are uh, are second in the league in percentage of no huddle snaps. Wow. Behind Arizona, of course. Here's, um, I think, what this question was in reference to, and it's something that I brought up during the um, San Francisco joint practices. And I said it looked like the Broncos were ready to run a marathon and the Niners were ready to run a sprint. And I think there is something to that. Mace, wouldn't, don't you think it would make sense to have our practices? So, so maybe you do a walkthrough in the morning where you go through all the mental stuff, and then you do an hour practice or an hour and a half practice where you just go full speed the entire time because that's the way a game is. You know, 60 minutes of full speed action. I think the Broncos that might have been conditioned to – have a slow release with their energy because they're doing these three-hour practices. Maybe. That's a good point. Um, but then again, most practices, not all, but most, you see teams kind of start with the individual work and kind of build up to what they do in team periods. So there's always that little bit of a build. But occasionally, I've, you've seen teams kind of shuffle the deck and say, let's do, a t- let's do a team period early. Right. So maybe even after stretching, come out and do a team period. I'd like to wouldn't see be that. the wouldn't be the worst idea to kind of get people going. I think you got the next one from Boucher all day. Sign Ryan Schrader to a one year deal in bench bowls. What do you know about Ryan Schrader? Mason? Ryan Schrader uh, uh, played for the Falcons for six years, and of course that means he was in a, a zone scheme uh, down there. So he has uh, some scheme familiarity to him. Uh, it really peaked when he was working under Kyle Shanahan in twenty fifteen and uh, 2016 and that's when he got an extension as they changed some points of emphasis after Kyle Shanahan left Rich Gangrello of course by then was back had uh, gone with Kyle Shanahan to the 49ers they didn't do as many zone concepts under uh, Steve Sarkeesian he struggled he he struggled at times uh, in 2017 and 2018 uh, was the right tackle for the Falcons last year but then they released him nobody assigned him 31 years old uh, six-year uh, veteran you have the cap space to do it but I don't think Ryan Schrader is a cure-all even though this scheme did bring out the best in him back in 2015 and 2016 you'd be hoping for the same thing here but 
at times last year, he looked bad. Yeah, I mean, mm, couldn't be much worse. True. But that's how I feel about just about anyone. Like, like sign Andrew Mason to a one-year deal. I'm like, yeah, couldn't be much worse. Ah. <laughs> Iceman. Hey, boys. Well, more. He oh. still goes on oh, and sorry, says, um, it's very early, but with the t- talks of trading away some of our assets, what positions do you see us targeting in the draft with the capital we'd obtain for it? Inside linebacker, offensive in- line, interior defensive, defensive line. line. Yes. Yep. Um, lastly, what are your three favorite Breck flavors? I'm driving quite a ways to get some, and it'll be like going into a big candy store, but I'm not sure yet what to get. I'll let you take this because I'm more of a fruit beer, Kolsch, you know, uh, sour beer kind of person, so it's all Strawberry Sky for me. Yeah, Strawberry Sky is obviously number one. He knows that. Then um, I like the United and Orange Pale Ale, but you're probably going to have a hard time finding that outside of Colorado. Um, There is the, the Irish Stout which is delicious. It's a heavy beer, obviously. It's a dark, dark stout, sort of in this in the same vein as like a Guinness, but it almost tastes like you're drinking like chocolate milk in beer form. Really Ooh. good. Oh, I might have to try that. It's real good. It's dessert beer. Um, okay. And then I would also recommend one of the staples, which is like the Avalanche. Uh, probably go with the Avalanche because the Nitro or the the Vanilla Porter is also good, but it's in the same vein as that Irish stout. Okay. Heavy beer. Anyway, Iceman. Hey, boys, more Allie and Lindsay. Real quick, Iceman. <laughs> With us being in the season here, there's going to be no yeah. Allie and Lindsay. Sorry. Please watch the All-22 and then tell me Chubb did not give up on the Patterson run. How many times a defensive player kept going on a totally blown assignment down the field and ended up punching the ball out and had a teammate recover it? Many, many times. Well, I wouldn't say many, many. We, well, it has the, happened. The thing is, we never said that he probably didn't give up on that run. But all we said is it, it happens I'm Every not, player probably has one play a game where they give up. I'm not benching him for it, A, and B. See this in baseball sometimes. A pitcher will you know, have a lightly hit ball, but will just kind of jog down to first. And the manager will be okay with it because you don't want the guy pulling his hamstring. I, I want to see effort, but I also don't want to see a pulled hamstring or a snap tendon, and then you lose a guy because of it. Also, uh, it's funny you mentioned chasing down a player and stripping it because one of the, like, the big things that Bradley did in college was his motor. Yes. And they sh- kept showing the same highlight of him chasing a guy down and stripping it. Lamar Jackson. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the moment right there. TB12, don't be haters kids okay here's the thing with the tb12 method as it were the notion of drinking a lot of water and having that keep you from getting sunburned there's absolutely no medical science involved with this i'm a i'm married to a doctor and what i've seen from the so-called doctors and medical experts involved with tb12 is quackery i think okay. he's just talking about tom but i liked that rant anyway okay <laughs> I've seen zero good game management. Just saying, yep, we've touched on the game management this week. Sunday, it was definitely bad. Bulls' fifth holding call. The ref threw the flag between Garrett's feet. Stop all the excuses, boys. Ryan, defenses always win Lombardi's. Uh, Not without quarterbacks, they don't. Trent Dilfer. I know, I know. But Trent Dilfer was serviceable. Yeah. I mean, even, you know. And, and, And Joe Flacco, I'll say this for Flacco with the Ravens in 2012. Flacco in the playoffs, what he was an elite quarterback. He didn't sustain it, but in the postseason, he was elite. He earned that contract. Yes, he did. Um, there's a few examples. Even the shell of Peyton Manning 
you could count as a team winning with a, a bad quarterback. But the brain of Peyton Manning won some games. The brain, exactly. of, the mind of Peyton Manning is why you want is partial part and parcel along with the defense to why you won the AFC championship because he set up pre-snap Owen Daniels in the matchup on the mismatch I should say on Jamie Collins yeah so uh, uh, defenses do win championships it's just you need uh you need a a, a plane <laughs> bottom line Vic's defense is not good enough to overcome Skangs's play calling average 15 points per game can't ever win when you give up averaging 20 points per game Two and fourteen might have been very kind from Adam. Go whomever. I appreciate the enthusiasm, Iceman. By the way, the exclamation points. Iceman not having a, not having a good day when he left that comment. That's all right. Um, Thanks for listening anyway, though. Yes, we appreciate you, man. Skangs isn't the the biggest problem of the offense. No, but I I think there are elements that I've seen in the fourth quarter that I'd like to ha- see carried over in quarters one through three that could cause this offense to get roused earlier. Count Flacula says, The pot open where you three fine gents shoot the breeze about Madden ratings was pure genius and amazing. What isn't amazing right now is the lock- lack of leadership in this locker room. Lack of leadership in the locker room. Another tongue twister. Yes. The arsonist had oddly shaped feet. <laughs> I know Vaughn wasn't a rah-rah guy in general, but don't we all expect him to hold this team together in times like these? He's not producing on the field and seemingly not off the field either. I'm starting to see why coach didn't assign season-long captains. We have no one who demands that kind of respect, or do we? Well, I don't think the assignment of season-long captains or the lack thereof didn't have to do with players in the locker room. I think it was simply that it was something that Matt Nagy did last year in Chicago and is doing again in Chicago, and it worked. Yep. So, so I'm not why. I'm not giving up on this team, but it seems listless and languid. That's a Those new are good words. Languid is uh, it's basically kind of the same as, as listless. Yeah, good one. But it's good alliteration there with the L's. Listless and languid, the Denver Broncos story. Lazy is another way of saying languid. I don't want to use that word, but... Right. And it seems like things may have fallen apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy has been loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence has been drowned. Luckily, you gents are still funny as all get out. Love the count. Wow, it's taking us to some dark places right there. <laughs> yes, Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. The original Mario, and I love the literary reference there, by the way. I appreciate that count. Original Mario. Hey, guys, first time commenting, been listening since the draft, and now just subscribed. Thank you very much. Appreciate Ooh, you, We man. got him. I'm so happy to hear that Mace has joined BSN. I love his knowledge and coverage about Denver Broncos. No, my question. If the Broncos were to have gone 2-0, and do you think they're a playoff team, even with a hard schedule? I th- actually, At this point, we'd be talking about it. Yes, because you're looking around the AFC and you're seeing the Colts. I think the Colts are still a good team, but they're not a great team with Andrew Luck retiring. Steelers losing Ben Roethlisberger and putting Mason Rudolph in there. They, they take a step back. Uh, the Jets could have been feisty with Sam Darnold missing time from Mono. They're looking like they're in another rebuilding year. The Chargers, they're going to be a contender still, but Hunter Henry on the shelf, Derwin James still hurt, no Melvin Gordon. They're a little bit mortal, and they showed it in that loss to Detroit. Yeah, uh, it's pretty wide open. The problem is the Broncos are on the wrong side of things. Yes. From Oklahoma Bronco 58, I saw the video of the final play that Nikki posted on Twitter, and it looked like Adam Gotsis really messed up the play from the beginning. He let the lineman push him straight down the line and into Vaughn, which basically knocked him on his knees, and in doing so, opened a hole big enough that a Mack truck could have driven through it. 
If he stays in his lane, Trubisky steps up when Vaughn goes to his depth and then proceeds to sack him because he would have been in good position to make a move on the tackle. This happens and we all feel better about the team, but now he must live in the pit of misery for another week. The other thing that considers on the coverage there, it looked like Kareem Jackson made a mistake back there. So It looked like a combo coverage wherein Isaac Adam was supposed to pass it if it goes inside and stays with him if it goes outside, and he passed it and... Uh, Kareem Jackson did not proverbially catch the coverage. It's probably Kareem Jackson's one mistake in two weeks, and yeah. unfortunately, worst possible time. From not Philip Lindsay, hey guys, I've never formally said welcome to Mace, but I think he's the perfect compliment to Zach and Ryan. Thank you. Been a while since I've commented because high school is a you-know-what. <laughs> Would you guys rather have VJ and a 34-year-old Peyton or Vic and Come a 34-year-old on. Flacco? Are you a 34-year-old Peyton? He was just about to hit the best years of his career. I mean, you you could probably win three Super Bowls. But with 34-year-old Peyton, if we're talking about the same arc, that means you would have been without him at age 35 for a full year and then gotten him back at age 36. But I'd still take it. Uh, I mean, 1,000 times over. Yes. Anyway, and if you could add, and no offense to Vic Fangio, but yeah, I got to take Peyton I'll with VJ because I think Peyton would have gotten VJ. Yeah, uh, Peyton would have gotten Vance Joseph to 10, 11, 12 wins easily. With all due respect to you, not Philip Lindsay, I would take Peyton and you as the head coach. <laughs> no joke. I'm not even kidding. And if you could add anyone in this league to our team, who would it be? Keep it up, boys, and hopefully we can end this losing garbage. Um, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Because <laughs> Tom of, Brady. Because of the youth, right. I'm choosing Patrick Mahomes over Aaron Rodgers, who would have been my choice. The fact that I'm not choosing Aaron Rodgers in this scenario, for people who heard me over on the radio station, this is actually a big deal that I'm choosing Patrick Mahomes instead. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes is a freak, an absolute freak. From Carpaccio, Chris. RK, just thought I'd mention that I really enjoy watching you and the crew on Broncos B. Great takes by everyone. Thanks. Ruan Pablo. Hey, guys. Watching the game Sunday was noticing some things about this team. Don't know if you agree. Please tell me if you do. Really quick, I want to go back to Carpaccio, Chris. Just in case you guys don't know what that is, Broncos Beat is a TV show that I'm doing uh, on Mondays. Mace has been on it a few times. I think they're uh, blocking us now. They don't want it to be the BSN show. But uh, it's fun. And it airs at 6.30 on Monday nights on TV20. Yeah, I think what they're kind of doing with me is saying that I'm getting most of the Friday show that they're taking off the radio because we're taking it from uh, KOA on Thursday night, Broncos Country tonight. So it's like you're getting your – it's like, oh, you're getting your Mace fill on Fridays. So it's all good. (laughs) I think it should just be a panel of you, me, and Zach on the Broncos beat. I actually kind of agree (laughs) with that. I I, I would watch that too. So anyway, back to Juan Pablo. Number one, this D-line has been really underwhelming outside of Wolf's play Sunday. Shelby Harris really had me deluded after the 49ers preseason game. Yeah. As I went back and watched Derek Wolf, he wor- he looked a lot better, and he was getting mauled, mugged, play after play after play, and he was still holding up strong at the point of attack. So, tip of the cap to Derek Wolf for the game that he played. And yes, Shelby Harris. That's what we've seen at the last couple of games. That's not the guy that we've seen the last two years. Not the guy we saw in the preseason. Looks invisible. Maybe going to Wisconsin, his home state this week, will perk him up. Mm, here's the thing. is I And we talked about guys asking for trades. He's just not a scheme fit. Right. And so I wonder if he's going to be a guy who says, hey, look, man, I'm trying to get paid out here, and I'm not a nose tackle. Yeah. 
So, number two, the tight end run blocking is just horrible, especially Fumagalli and Fant. You're going to have to live with and some Hireman. bumps there. And, and Hireman hasn't been great in run blocking either. Um, that said, I've seen better work from Fant when he's operated in a little more space. I'd like to see him do more of that. Fumagalli struggling in run blocking has been a bit of a surprise to me, quite frankly. They've all been yeah. rough in run yeah. blocking. Yeah. Number three, Flacco showed that his second reads are just not good. On the Freeman screen that happened, screen that happened two times, Mark uh, Cleo Mack read it both times and was right beside Freeman and Flacco and still threw to him on both as well as on the, on the interception. I thought he could have waited longer to see the routes develop. There's no second option on a screen. No, and there's no waiting longer on everything developing. The screen is, dev- it is designed for one thing and one thing only. Here's what went wrong on the interception. The the defense passed the coverage. It was a combo. So they just – whoever went inside, um, whoever was in there had it. Whoever went outside, Kyle Fuller had. And the Broncos expected them to be in man, in pure man, and they thought that Kyle Fuller would trail Noah Fant, and Noah Fant was essentially going to set a pick and, and try and knock the safety out of the play. But they just – let the routes happen right in front of them. Flacco probably should have just thrown the ball away or just thrown it lower, and, and Emmanuel would have had a chance. Yeah, it, the placement on the ball. I mean, it, this is not. I'm not going to excuse like Joe Flacco on this. A better placed ball, even with that coverage adjustment, it's not picked off. Anyway. It was supposed to be wide open, though, yes. if, the play was, if the play went the way the Broncos thought it was going to. Yeah, you can't always assume that, though. Very true. Anyway, I hope we really improve with the comeback of Davis and Callahan. If not, want to see Drew Locke ASAP. Keep up the great work. Love the coverage. Week 9, or at least you'll see him. From Super Bowling, two things. I don't think Rodgers is fully healthy. If you look back at the game this week, there's a point where I believe he hurts his arm. Following said play, he missed some throws and became uh, his missed throws became more frequent, and you could see it in his face that he was in pain. Granted, an 80% Aaron Rodgers is still better than almost every quarterback in the league, but we need to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, a way to take advantage of that is to get him on the ground. Yeah, get him on the ground, but also if Aaron Rodgers is struggling, he might lean more on the short stuff, and he might try to get the ball out quicker, which might unfortunately play against the Broncos' defense. And if you watch the way he gets short passes out, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's all the arm. Right. But he just takes a step and just whoosh. And the thing about it is, yes, he when he's in optimal in optimal spot, he will extend the play. But Aaron Rodgers, if the game – if he understands that the best way to beat a defense is by getting the ball out in under two seconds. He's perfectly capable of doing that. And actually, if he has an injury concern, then that's a way to work around it. Second thing, you guys talked about how we could be a top 10 points allowed defense. Just how bad the offense is help that. Just thinking, I wonder how the defense would perform if teams knew that 20 points wouldn't be enough for a win. I think they would perform better because the other other offenses would have to try stuff and it would allow them to create turnovers and sacks and all that good stuff. Yeah, the, the, the you might uh, allow a few more points perhaps with more possessions, but um, your points per possession would go down, and you'd have the explosive plays that you're lacking right now. All right, before we move along, Weinster. It's the way that you can become a mature, uh, refined adult, or at least pretend you're a mature, refined adult. Weinster is an innovative online direct-to-consumer wine club connecting wine drinkers with more than 110 of the best wineries in America. What makes these guys different, guys, is that they find the wineries that you'd never find just walking around the local liquor store. They, they go deeper than that, and they find some of the best wine in America that, again, you wouldn't have known about if you weren't a Wine Sir subscriber. They're going to send it to you. 
in a box and then and i just got my box yesterday i'm excited to open it um once you decide hey i really like this one i had one called i believe it was called um the white queen or something like that it was a it was a chardonnay uh once you find one like that then you just tell them hey i really like this one and they say okay we'll send it to you with no shipping costs you buy it right there um and you don't even have to pay for shipping so Make sure you check out Weinster and use the code BSN25 to get $25 off your first shipment. That's Weinster, W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R. Got the next one there? Yes, Upstate Garbage Plate. Greetings, gentlemen. I want to give props to Mace for being the second BSN podcaster to correctly tell where I'm from just from the name. AJ also nailed it during the draft pod. And also, I I think it was the Rochester Red Wings, the uh, AAA team they have there. For one night, they rebranded as the Garbage Plates. Wow. And they had some merchandise to go along with it. I'm cautiously optimistic that we can get this win in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers has looked off and maybe injured, and the offense has been bailed out by a great defense. However, that defense is looking almost as formidable as the Bears. I'm hopeful that Fangio can scheme a great defensive plan and hope that Skanes can get the offense running better. No football question, but a Broncos question. Do you guys get to go to taste the Broncos? I think it's awesome that the team partners up with up-and-coming and and old guard the restaurant scene to provide a chance to try new and sometimes high-end cuisine while seeing the players. I'm hoping that we don't tank and sell the house because I really want to make it out there next year try to go to the event. To be able to meet Von Miller, Sack Master, and Tyson Cole, Sushi Master, in one evening would be a dream come true. Much love, fellas. It's the best media event of the year for the Broncos. Pretty uncontested. Because uh, you get a, you eat well. I mean, it's all it's all little stuff. But basically, you're grazing for a couple of hours. Yep. You're trying all sorts of stuff from restaurants you may know or you may not know. I actually uh, got some coupons for a couple of them that I'm going to end up visiting here in the next few weeks. Same the the oysters. What, do you remember that place? What yeah, that place the oyster was place. Uh, was it uh, Bluefin? Blue oyster? something in uh, Cherry Creek. Then there was a place called Epicurean. Epicurean is the catering company that does the stadium. Wow. Well, they had some pork belly buns. They they did a great job. They were so good. That was the best showing that Epicurean has had at one of these things since they started five seasons ago. Uh, they ha- Yeah, I, I just took a picture because I was like, wow, these were some of the best pork belly mm-hmm. buns I've ever had in my life. Um, and the place that had the uh, Dungeness Crab Tacos. Those are really good. Oh, my goodness. And then um, there was a place called Azucar, which is a bakery. Mm-hmm. I had a Dulce de Leche uh cheesecake from them it changed my life it was so good wow that's bold changed your life man anyway anyways next one's from nurse dave what up gentlemen i was wondering if the bsn team has ever considered adding a chat room to the app during the broncos games these games have been kind of dull and it could be fun to kick around complaints and observations during the game with my fellow members just throwing out ideas keep up the great work guys yes we've always um had something like that in mind it's just I, I, there's so much going on in our company at all the time that it it's things like this take time. So chat room slash forum is always been on our mind and it's definitely in the plans at some point. I wonder if maybe there's a blog I'm on sometimes that covers the Braves and they just simply will say, okay, here's a game thread and maybe we just have a page that's just kind of open up for comments and we encourage people to comment there during the game. And then it gives us something to maybe answer some questions on for the post-game pod. Yeah, definitely something that we'll keep in mind. So, Cleavers 83, I know that I personally always have a little orange and blue tint in my opinion on the team, but the reason why I never see the season as over early in the year and hold out hope is because I'll never forget watching the 
Alex Smith bum led Chiefs start 0 and 5 and finish 11 and 5. That may be an outlier that never happens again, but I will always hold out hope the team can turn it around. That being said, we ne- we need a win in Green Bay to get this team and my morale back on track. Go Broncos and always much love to the BSN fam. Did that actually happen? They won 11 in a row. I thought they started like maybe like 1 and 5 and then got hot in the end. I'm actually looking it up right now. All right. Um, yeah. I mean, because of course they had that year back in 2003 when they started off 9 and 0, skidded toward the end, but still managed to turn around. It was Nine one and- it was 1 and 5 in 2015. That's what they started. They beat Houston to open the season, lost Denver, Green Bay, Cincinnati, Chicago, and Minnesota. Then they won their last 10 in a row, and basically it forced the Broncos into a situation in Week 17 where they had to win just to win the division. That's why that comeback with Peyton Manning was so huge. Wow. I can't believe they did that. That's incredible. Uh, Very incredible. Yes. But you definitely do need to win at some point in those first five. Yes. So, yeah, not 0-5, <laughs> but 1-5. Close enough. The precedent has been set. From Bumpy Buffalo, hey, guys, great coverage. And, of course, things are looking down. But part of what makes Broncos country great is that no matter what, we need to have the team's backs. Browns fans went forever without, with barely even seeing a win and are still loyal. Broncos country needs to accept that things aren't going to be perfect. And anyone who is out there... I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. I'll say this. The Browns fans that remained were loyal, but they lost a lot of fans on the fringe, and you could. Uh, it was a lot easier to procure tickets for Browns games during that down period on secondary markets. A lot easier and a lot cheaper. Yeah, I have some friends who are Browns fans, and it was just full-on apathy. They didn't bail on the team. They just stopped caring. You know, it's now like, they're back. Right, now they're back. But it was like, okay, uh, oh, yeah, the Browns are on. I'll watch them, but I don't expect to win. Something interesting, even about the reporters who cover the Browns, some have said, and I've been told this by a couple of them, your calendar is reversed when you cover the Browns when they were so down for so long in that basically your season, when fans are most engaged and excited, was January to April and even May and June into OTAs because it was all about potential draft picks who might come in and help this, and that it was so bad for so long that after that initial burst at the start of the year, people would tune out, and they were looking ahead to the offseason. And it's sort of what happened to the Broncos uh, at times the last couple of years, that the focus turned toward the draft that followed. Yep. So, anyway, good, good stuff there. From Vertical Socks. I would love to believe that you're right. The Broncos would turn to Drew Locke in week nine if they're one and seven or maybe even two and six. I'm just not buying it, though. In fact, I'm virtually certain they would not turn to Locke even at 0 and 8. I fully expect that in that scenario, we would just hear the same old platitudes about Joe giving us the best chance to win and Joe not being the problem. The Broncos always say things like this because they will never acknowledge rebuilding or playing for the future. I think it's possible they would have benched Case Keenum at 0-8, but we also have to factor here Elway's respect for Flacco as a fellow Super Bowl MVP. I just don't believe he would do it to him. If this season turns into a disaster, I think the best we can hope for is Locke in Weeks 16 and 17. I really hope I'm wrong. Yes, if the Broncos have that sort of start, I hope you're wrong, but you may not be wrong. I'm going to let you read the next one, too. And real quick, you have to be wrong. Like, there's no way they could go 0-8 and, and not play Drew Locke in Week 9. Yeah. Anyway, from 
Do I read the whole user? Yeah, Humpback Chub Humpback 55. Humpback Chub 55. Mace, I am 75%. How's your computer? Is it okay? It's fine. We're percent good. sure you were sitting in the press box pounding the table for Vic to make the right call before half and run the clock out. Then you add in the five holding calls, and I'm sure you were throwing your hat. Yes, and yes. No matter what happens this season, just know that you're all welcome to come to Grand Junction and watch some respectable baseball put on by the great humpback chubs. Don't tag them on Twitter or they will block you. They blocked me. They eventually unblocked me, though, I was happy to say. They never blocked me. I was trying to get blocked, and I couldn't (laughs) get blocked. I felt like I was invisible to them. Uh, Guys, I am confident the season will turn around. Thanks for the great coverage. P.S. Let's get a new partnership going and make our orchard the official peach grower of BSN. Cheers. Well... Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do some business. Lindsay, L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y at bsndenver.com. Hit her up and she will get you set up. All right, next one here is from Craig L. One, welcome, Mace. Loving the knowledge you bring and the chemistry between the three of you. Good to hear. Two, I'm going through some tough times at home with the health of my dad and my father-in-law. So this is my go-to pod every morning. It's such a big help through this and a much-needed distraction. For this, I thank you and... Craig, thanks for riding with us, and we are uh, we're keeping you in our thoughts and prayers. We hope everything goes okay health-wise mm-hmm. for them. But we're glad that we can provide a distraction for you. Three is for Mr. B. Four, after his struggles uh, in camp, how is Connor McGovern doing after two games? I'm going on the fact that I haven't heard him mentioned this week as, like last week, he was good enough. I think he's had the best two back-to-back games of his career so far. Yeah, he seems pretty comfortable in there. At center, and that was a big question because he struggled at center at times last year, but he looks more comfortable than he's ever been. No bad snaps. Five, I've been meaning to ask this question all offseason, but uh, not had the time to comment. But with Mace now, it's lined up perfectly. As I've only been following the NFL for a few years and from across the pond, I know about the modern era greats, Elway, TD, Atwater, Mech, Sharp, the usual guys that regularly get brought up. Who are the underrated, forgotten about, important parts of Broncos history that should be included? Well, I'll go back into the Wayback Machine of the 60s and 70s for three names. Rich Tombstone Jackson, an amazing pass rusher in the late 60s, early 70s, whose career was cut short by knee problems. If he'd had a a career of normal length and good health, he'd probably already be in the Hall of Fame by now. Um, You didn't mention Randy Gratishar, but he's one that definitely is, uh, if not on the Mount Rushmore, pushing it. Louis Wright, cornerback uh, for the Broncos from the Orange Crush years on through the mid-1980s. Really, he was Champ Bailey before Champ Bailey for this Broncos team. And then as you get into the 90s and 2000s, you have some guys that were important but aren't in the ring of fame. Al Wilson, Trevor Price, and don't two for- guys very underrated. And don't forget about the franchise. Floyd Little, already in the Hall of Fame, and his jersey retired. So Yeah, I just yeah. mean, he, right. just, he, he didn't, didn't mention him. Yep. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of great yep. Broncos throughout the years. Simon Fletcher is another one that you should know. Lumba! <laughs> uh as it go, yeah. So there you go. There's a, there's a few names for you that you can maybe look up and find some interesting stories and and maybe in some old video of those guys. Six. Can you pull some strings and get some Breck brews for sale in England, please? We will do our best. Seven. This one's for John. Good stuff. From Lax for Lax, Lax, Lax Freak. Freak. Okay. Or for three. Hey, guys, I've listened to every pod for close to two years now. I have to say a couple of things that are on my mind. When I first found this podcast, I absolutely loved it. It was two buddies talking about football and having fun. It made me want to be a better fan in person. I've had a lot of laughs listening to you two, almost to tears because of how hard I was laughing. But that has slightly changed now. 
I'm really bummed with all this negativity from everyone. I understand that we have a lot of work to do in places we can improve and be better as a team, but I hate how everyone just talks negatively about players and the team in general. Can we just understand that we aren't going to the playoffs this year and try to make the most of this? I think we understand. I think the problem is I'm not sure the Broncos upstairs understand. Agreed. And here's the thing is, like, there's just nothing to, to get excited about right now when it, when it comes to this team. Obviously, if we get a win this week, then things the tone will change and we'll start talking about how they can get things back on track and, and they're one game away from being re, from resetting. But, you know, here's one thing that, that uh, I really try to do hard as, an, as a podcaster, as an analyst, is give you guys me, like, how I really am feeling. I'm not trying to spin things one way or the other for you. When I'm being super positive, as I tend to be, that's really me. I'm not being positive to try and psych you guys up. I'm just giving you me. And right now, me is very <laughs> down on where the Broncos are and, and where this thing could be going. So I I understand why the negativity can be yeah. um, uh, draining. Like, look, we're in the same building here where there's a lot of negativity going on but just know that you're getting a, an open book into the way we really feel exactly always be authentic always be you to me sports are meant to be enjoyed and bring people together i used to look forward to these podcasts and now i just hope i can hear something positive i might have to take a break because of the negative content coming out there are four articles illustrating garrett Bowles's holding issues i don't know the guy personally but i have family that went to school with him growing up and have heard what he's went through what he's gone through in life it's just hard listening to everyone bash on one guy when there's a whole team who lost this game what about that blown coverage on the last play my point is blame can be put wherever you want to put it i have seen that a lot of people forget to remember these guys are human too and do hear things everyone says about them Appreciate your guys' hard work. Thanks for letting me be a part of this community. Hope we can turn this around and start winning games for everyone. Uh, I understand all your points. One thing I will say is, like, I think there's three articles about Garrett Bowles. Um, well, I mentioned it in the, the, okay, the, in the to start game. the cold snacks, so but that's the fourth. None of those are really bashing him. It's really just, uh, you know, there's Garrett, or there's Zach writing what Emmanuel mm -hmm. Sanders said. There's Zach writing what Vic Fangio said. It's just sharing the information. And to be fair, as I already mentioned off the top of the show, that's what people want to read about right now. Yeah, it's like you said, top stories on the site. And um, unfortunately, you have a first-round pick, and there's a certain expectation from a first-round left tackle. And five holding penalties in two games and eight in the last four, that's not meeting the expectation. So until it changes, that's the way it's going to be. And here's my biggest point. I actually am uh, – it's not – Garrett Bowles holds fault in this. But the, the place to where I think most of the vitriol should be directed is the Broncos are putting him in a position that he is not able to succeed in. So I always make sure people remember that. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the player's fault for being put into a position that they can't succeed in. And he's had three different schemes, three different sets of line coaches in three years. That's not helping either. All right, from Bronco Born Bronco Brad. What up, y'all? I hate. I kind of hate myself for doing this because it's been very clear since the Super Bowl. Here's my week as a Broncos fan during the season. Monday, anger and confusion about the prior day. Tuesday, just anger about what should have happened. Wednesday, optimism creeps its head in. Thursday, I convince myself we're going to win. Friday, I've told all my friends why the Broncos will win, and they wonder if I'm clinically insane because I'm expecting things to change when nothing happens. 
has Saturday. I watch my Sooners win, so I'm convinced the Broncos will keep it going. Sunday, disappointment. Anyone else relate? Here's a real question, though. Who would you start in fantasy going forward, Royce or Phil? Real quick, I can completely relate to the years when, when the buffs were down. I would do the exact same thing. I mean, they could literally be playing Oregon when Oregon was ranked number one in the country. And by Saturday morning, Friday night, I'm like, oh, we just need a couple turnovers early in the game. We make the team believe. And then they lose like 50-2. to two. Yes, I completely understand that. Growing up a Bucks fan, and now what I think is interesting, watching uh, the University of South Florida play on Saturdays, they literally have the longest losing streak in FBS at this point. Or it ended. It ended last week because they they beat South Carolina State. Let's go. They do, yes. And uh, so they end the losing streak against an FCS team. Hooray! But part of it with me is last year, as the USF losses mounted and the Broncos losses mounted, I saw some of the same game management issues from Charlie Strong on Saturday that I saw from from Vance Joseph on Sunday. And when Vance Joseph was let go, and I thought, hey, great, you guys got rid of your guy. I still got mine. It's tough. Charlie Strong, man, what a fall from grace. Uh, he basically should tithe about 50% of his paycheck to Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, who was the name of that quarterback you had at USF with, like, the Mohawk? Something with a G? Matt Grothy. Yes. Yes. He was dope. Yeah, he was He was good dude, man. The Manning face you, guy. You were all the way up to number two in the country at one point. Yeah, 19, uh, 2007, and then lost to Rutgers. Yeah, back when, Ray back Rice, when, right? Back, yeah, back when Rutgers was good. and it, I mean, not not the Rutgers of today that can't get out of its own way. Rutgers was a good program. Greg Shannon was coaching him then. Lost close game on a Thursday night. And the thing with USF, when they, USF loses one game, it tends to become a three- <laughs> or four-game losing streak. So, Does you know. that happen that year? Yeah, they lost like they lost the next three after that, and then oh. they rallied, went to the Sun Bowl, and then Jonathan Stewart ran all over the, over them in the Sun Bowl. Jonathan Stewart and the Oregon Ducks, correct? With uh, was it was Dennis Dixon the quarterback then? I think he may have been the quarterback then. See, right? I can I can go in the wayback machine with yeah. you when it comes nice. to college football. <laughs> yeah, the Manning face God. Hey guys, can you believe there are some people in Broncos country who want Eli to come to Denver? Lord Flacco above. has been more than solid. Eli isn't what Eli used to be, and he's not even close to what Peyton was. By the way, how do you think Daniel Jones will do in his first start? Thanks, guys. Go Broncos. Daniel Jones leading the Giants against the Buccaneers on Sunday, and Todd Bowles has has created a massive improvement in the Bucks' defense. They're generating pressure. Shaq Barrett already has four sacks. Vita Vea, a force on the interior. I think it's going to be tough sledding for Daniel Jones in his first start. Yeah, Danny Dimes might have a problem. Also, anyone calling for Eli to Denver? No. Delete even, your account. Even though, wouldn't that be a Broncos type of move? They already if, did it, though. I know, with Joe, but if Joe <laughs> Flacco didn't pan out, wouldn't that just be a Broncos move to try to bring in Eli? Oh, uh, I can't, God. I can't even imagine. I mean, at least, like Joe Flacco is better than Eli right now. And here's the thing with Eli Manning. What, one of the, when I think of him, I think of two interception games. Because over the course of, the, of years, he has a higher rate of two interception starts than almost any quarterback who started at least 100 games. From True Champ Fan 24, he says, RK, Flacco can't throw it deep. If he holds the ball for more than two seconds, Bulls will hold the defender. Here's the thing, and it's not always true, but with a guy like Cortland Sutton, you actually don't need to hold that ball, the ball that long to throw a nine route to him. Right. You take you take the snap, wait a second and a half, and then do the rest of the take let the rest of the time happen in the air, put some air under it, and let him run underneath it. Trust that he'll get there. Exactly. Other teams have to get the ball out quickly to avoid Vaughn and Chubb. Flacco needs to get the ball out quickly to avoid Garrett, Texas, Hold'em, Bowls. Oh, man. 
Alaska Preston. Hey, fellas, I have to say some of Shelby Harris's comments as of late have me concerned. Calling fans disrespectful for leaving early seems pretty tone deaf to me. If you don't want people to give up on you, don't put up two years of bad football, and then you'll see better support. Well, Shelby hasn't put up bad football. I mean, he hasn't played very well this this thus far. And the defense... Uh, uh, you know, is not at blame here. So I understand. I mean, his whole mm-hmm. point was, hey, you know, there's five minutes left in the game and we've got them backed up in their own territory. Don't bail on us. Right. And I and look, I get where he's coming from emotionally, but I don't blame the fans for leaving either. I wouldn't do it, but I don't blame them after what they've seen. There's There's a little bit of scarring going on. As my buddy Matt Cisneros tweeted at me, though, pay for four, stay for four. That's how I feel. The other thing that I'll say is this. I get I, I will actually add this. I get leaving if the weather's lousy. It's a it was warm. I, that's not an issue. I, I just can't relate to leaving games ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless it's an out and out blowout. Um, I remember uh, I can remember I can count on one hand the amount of games I've left. And yeah. like one of them was like the buffs were down forty to seven at halftime. It's like, all right, I can get out of here. But even then, I was pressed by my friends. Like, I didn't want to leave. So in a one-score game with five minutes left, like you, you, you paid to go, and then you missed all of the action. I know. Between this and the negative, his negative reaction being led by a second-year player, I'm starting to wonder if he really speaks for the locker room or if he has a particularly bad attitude. Am I reading too much into this? Thanks for your time, and sorry for the long comment. I think – I don't know if he speaks for the locker room, but I, it does reflect some concerns. And I think one of the things that the Broncos do have to acknowledge and develop is that as they're developing a young core, there are young leaders that have to be listened to, even by the older players, such as Philip Lindsay, such as Bradley Chubb. Fair enough. Uh, from Sir James Radio, the NFL Modern Day List for Hall of Fame candidates was recently released, and I have to ask, am I missing something on my man Tom Nalen? Six different thousand-yard rushers, five-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, 188 games started, and a two-time Super Bowl champion. I may be looking through orange-tinted glasses, but I always believed he was the best center in the game during his career. The fact that he was left off the preliminary list of nominees for the 2020 class is just absurd. Yeah. Jake DeLome, I covered him in Carolina. Marvelous person. Started in a Super Bowl. There's no way that preliminary list should include Jake DeLome and not Tom Nalen. I'm sorry. No way. Anyway, Mark Shippers. Hi, guys. Two of Denver's most important wins have come against Green Bay when no one thought they could. Super Bowl 32, Denver was a 14-point dog, I believe. You're correct. And 2015 14 against... points in a Super Bowl isn't dumb. Yeah. Anyways. In 2015 against Green Bay, an undefeated Denver was a home dog, although Green Bay was also undefeated, but still. Both games they played well and won, so let's all hope that happens Sunday. Go Denver and go BSN. Mark in Kansas. There's one thing that is different in this game than those other games. This quarterback one is in Wisconsin. No, Aaron Rodgers was a quarterback. No, I mean the Broncos quarterback. One was Elway and one was Manning. Manning and then it's Flacco. Flacco has an MVP. But, I, but the Broncos, with the exception of a single tie in 1987, are 0 for Wisconsin. By the way, that tie came with the Packers starting a rookie, a 10th round pick because the draft was 12 rounds back then, Don Mikowski later known as the Magic Man, for a series of comebacks in 1989 when the Packers went 10-6. and six. But while the Broncos have never lost, uh, never won in Wisconsin, they've also never had a head coach start 0-3. Something's got to give. Oh, man. 
Something's got to go. That's good. <laughs> Didn't even think about that. Also tells you how good the Broncos have been historically. They've never had a coach that started 0-3. Yeah. Uh, from Broncos Squared, hey, gang, maybe you touched on this already. Maybe I've missed it. But what reason is most responsible for the mediocre offensive performance against the Bears? A, the Bears' defense is that good. B, Garrett Bowles' holding calls. Or C, Skang's play calling. Oh. I mean, obviously, it's a combination all of the, the three. three. <laughs> um, I mean, I'd say they all contributed. If you're looking for the one that was the uh, dominant factor of those three games, I would probably – I'd, pr- Here's I'd what probably put on the play calling a little bit, at least in the first three quarters. I'm going to go ahead and, and expand one of these and just say the offensive line, um, because not only did Garrett have three accepted, there was also two more holding calls on them, mm-hmm. and eventually you, you, the 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 offense is not good enough. There's Rich Gangarello's play calling is not even you know he is not capable of overcoming that many te- negative ten yard plays. No. He goes on and says, I have to say that I love any chance you guys take uh, to make teaching slash school references. I'm in my uh, second year of teaching seventh graders, and you guys are always spot on in your analogies. Finally, Andre's game grades gave me a boost of hope. There, It's a great source to even get a little bit of confidence back in the team. Yeah, when I read those, I realized, man, the whole team really didn't have a bad game. It was just a few bad performances that really cost them that game. But isn't that the way it is? It's sometimes just – the outliers that end up being the difference it totally is but yeah. it, it just made me feel better about the team as a whole okay mm-hmm. if they can just get you know a few guys mm-hmm. to not play terribly they can win this is the sort of thing that a lot of teams are trying to do though yep if you're kind of trapped in that muddled middle of the nfl from logan five holds are better than five sacks that's how i'm choosing to look at it run holds are disappointing yet yeah, the run holds are the problem the downfield holds, like the one on Roquan Smith where Garrett Bowles gets his hands around the, out, the outside of the shoulders, that's a problem. That's just terrible. I'm team Bowles until he's gone. I'd rather root for our players to turn it around than call for their heads. I understand that completely. Second, if Broncos fans want something to cheer them up, I recommend the Hot Ones interview with Vaughn Miller. For those who haven't seen it, it's an interview where Vaughn eats a spicy wing with each question. Thanks. Hashtag tank for Arch Manning. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the and the wing gets hotter and hotter after each question, so it's like a hotter sauce on each mm-hmm. wing. It's pretty funny. All right, next one here is from Otis Merriweather. Hey, guys, do you think it is due to the line that we aren't seeing explosive plays from Phil this year? Royce has us come through with a couple of decently long runs, but we aren't seeing Phil where he looks like he's being shot out of a cannon like last year. Thanks, my dudes. Looking forward to trying to meet you guys pre-Chiefs game. Yeah, here's the thing is Phil is a great player and a very explosive running back. But one thing that was a catalyst to his breakout last year was the fact that he led the league in yards before contact, which means what? It means that the offensive line was opening up holes that were allowing him to get to full speed before he had to deal with defenders. And that is a perfect storm for a guy like Philip Lindsay because in the end he is very small and he's not that hard to tackle for 300-pound linemen. So the offensive line has to get back to opening up holes. And the play calling also. A lot of draws last year, a lot of counters that were allowing him to get ahead of steam before having to deal with the defense. Shotgun runs. Maybe see a few more of those uh, going forward. 
uh, VA Beach Broncos, Virginia Beach. Hey, my home, my old home state. Love it. Gentlemen, regarding the talk about tanking the season, whether by design or not, the 2019 Broncos are resembling one of the best tank jobs of all time, the 2011 Indianapolis Colts. In 2011, the Colts, like the Broncos, began with a veteran conference-winning and Pro Bowl-appearing quarterback, Kerry Collins. Collins went 0-2, then went out in Week 3 with an injury. Enter unknown backup quarterback Curtis Painter, who played all four years in college for a school, Purdue, that consistently finished in the bottom half of a Power 5 conference, the Big Ten. The Broncos' current unknown backup QB, Brandon Allen, played all four years in college for a school, Arkansas, that consistently finished in the bottom half of a Power 5 conference, the SEC. The Colts' Painter, 6'3", with a 4'8", 40", was picked in the sixth round of the NFL draft with a 201st overall pick. The Broncos' Allen, 6'1", with a 4'8", 40", was also picked in the sixth round of the NFL draft with a 201st overall pick, the exact same pick. Wow. You're blowing my mind here, Virginia Beach Broncos. Painter was finally benched after Week 12 after achieving zero wins and a 66.6 spooky passer rating. Dan Orlovsky comes in and finishes the season, losing three of the final five games and assuring the Colts will get the Andrew Luck in the following year's draft. The most ironic thing, if Denver follows Indianapolis's pattern, we'll both be attempting to fill the hole that was created when Peyton Manning left our organization. We're coming up on week three of the Colts, the week that the Colts by necessity moved on from their veteran quarterback and went to their designated tanker. Should the Broncos get an offer for Flacco in the wake of the dire quarterback situation some teams are facing, I won't be surprised if he moves on and Allen comes in to ensure that we get a high draft pick. Locke would still need to come in by week nine so we can evaluate him, but the pieces are in place to lose every other game until that point. They're not benching Flacco while he's healthy no. this early. But but if he amazing. got hurt, if he look, Joe Flacco has been pretty decent for the most part. He's been what you expected he would be, what you hoped he could be. But if he gets injured, oh, my God, this season's over. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, great uh, great job connecting all that together. That wow, was that's impressive. Pretty impressive. My on mind your... is blown. Thank you, Virginia Beach Broncos. Great job. And look who the cat dragged in. Zach Stevens in the room. Welcome, Zach. Hello, friends. Hello. Nice little Jim Nance intro there, by the way. <laughs> The hello In friends, I like Nance it. Voice a little calming. Oh. Br- bring some calm to this. We podcast. do need some calm. <laughs> Zach's been running around all morning. I don't know how you're so calm, uh, but he's here now with us. And why don't we just let you read this next question? Next one from Bronco Brawler. Yes. It says, mm-hmm. hey guys, haven't said it yet, but somehow you guys have made the podcast even better with the addition of Mace. I seem to be in the minority here, but I only heard of him from you guys mentioning him and the way you talked about him. I figured he worked directly for the Broncos. He did. I did. BSN has always been the best. Now it's even. Now it's not even a competition. My question for today is, what do you guys think Sanders' trade value would be if we? If we enter sell mode, and do you think he is one of the pieces that we would try to move if we are out of it? I like the idea of giving Chris and Emmanuel a chance to win this season while gaining draft capital if we are out of the season. Thank you for all you do, RK, Zach, and Mace. Your coverage all that's keep, your coverage is always keeping me positive on the outlook of the team. Fourth or a fifth for Emmanuel. I don't think you're getting a day two pick for him. Here's the thing, though. You got a, you got a four from DT. But there was also an exchange of picks involved with that as well. So right. it wasn't you a straight up sixth or four. Something, a sixth and yeah. a seven. So do that yeah. again and get a third. Mm. You don't think you – I mean, it was clear DT was – If you, you know, have a situation like that, remember the Texans were desperate. They had just lost – who was it? Will Fuller? 
Yes, so they were desperate, and you still couldn't get a day two pick out of it. Right, but D- DT, you probably could have if you traded them a manual. But because he would have had, but he would have had another year left on his deal. Now, to some teams, true, that true. extra year makes the player more valuable. Some teams less valuable because they're anticipating not having the cap room to resign him. Yeah, you're probably right. It probably would be a four. Don't trade away Emmanuel. You can trade away a lot of other guys, but if you're gonna do this thing with Drew Locke at the end of the season, and give who knows whether whether they will or not, you can't give him a weapon. You got to give him a go-to receiver. Give Give Drew Locke a chance with Emmanuel, and also. You're going to feed Emmanuel anyway. Maybe you find something chemistry-wise with Emmanuel Sanders and Drew Locke that if you have to play Locke down the stretch, that compels you to re-sign Emmanuel, and maybe Emmanuel likes working with Drew Locke. All these things are possible. Drew does love throwing to people named Emmanuel. And he throws a nice deep ball. But if you're going down the route of a rebuild, which this would be if you're trading pieces away, don't you want to see Juwan Winfrey? Don't you want to see what he has? Don't you want to see the chemistry he can build? But he's not the same Emmanuel? type of receiver. If Juwan Winfrey plays, he's getting a snap that maybe you're going to give to Cortland Sutton or Deshaun Hamilton or Tim Patrick when you went four wide because Tim Patrick is on injured reserve, and if you bring Drew Locke back, there's only one recallable spot for anybody else. So we potentially have seen the last of Tim Patrick for 2019. So Juwan Winfrey... Maybe you give him the work that you plan to give Tim Patrick at some point. But though, I'm not disagreeing. It'd be nice to have a manual here you for sure, certainly. But if you're rebuilding, why would you keep a piece that's not part of the future? And because you're also limiting the other guys, you're limiting Deshaun to, to see if he can be part of the future. Cortland and Juwan. Have we reached the point though where Emmanuel isn't a part of the future? Because right now he's the best thing you've got going on offense. Maybe you need to sign him up to another three-year deal. How do you, he's how, a thirty-two-year-old receiver. How do you know his future doesn't look like Fitz? Yeah, how old is Larry Fitz? It, it could. I'm just. I'm just saying. I, I don't think it's fair to Drew Locke to throw him out there and with a bunch of receivers who can't get any separation. Fair, fair. I'm just saying the other side of if you're selling every other old older player. Yeah. Why not? Why not sell him? And of course, he's I, on the end of his deal. Of course, I would argue for keeping Chris Harris Jr. because down the line he can become a safety. It's one of the things that makes him more valuable into his 30s than some other defensive backs. But we've kind of got the the feeling that Chris doesn't want to stay. Yeah. I and mean, that, that, that that's more about the morale and the view of things than Chris Harris Jr. being a quality player. I think Chris Harris Jr. is going to be starting in this league until he's 35. We know that Chris is probably on different wavelengths with John Elway in terms of salary after this year. Yes. We don't know that with Emmanuel. We don't know if John's going to say, Emmanuel, you name your price. Probably not. I mean, my guess would be he's not going to. But if Emmanuel keeps going on the streak he's on right now, he's going to want to get paid. He's not a guy that's going to want to take a hometown discount. And we know if he wouldn't have got injured, he would have done the same thing that Chris did. So I just don't know if money-wise they'll be uh, on the same lane. Well, the other thing to consider is this. If you're talking about roster construction and how much you're allocating to each position group, Remember that you've got Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton that are both on rookie deals for another two years after this one. So you could conceivably afford to have one veteran in that room making top-shelf money and not blast your overall plan relative to the salary cap. You want top-shelf, really quick, you want top-shelf money on a 33-year-old? I'm just well, I'm just saying that's what it would be. If usually the older have, stuff is on the top shelf. Uh, the the top shelf of like 27th. Of course. Hey. I'm talking about uh, a liquor cabinet. <laughs> of course, if they drafted Terry McLaurin, you could say, well, we'll trade Emmanuel Sanders because McLaurin is absolutely balling out for Washington right now. <laughs> Terry McTouchdown. Um, 
Zach, you came in calm and then just flipped the switch. <laughs> Next one's from Ooh Benny Lava. Hey, boys. Just thought I'd flop myself into the comment section real quick and give our boy Josie a little praise. I was expecting someone to do it a little earlier with all of our outlaw fans we seem to have on the pod. It's more Hawkeye fans, but yes. Uh, I thought he's looked very good in the first two games. Seems a little faster than last year. What are your thoughts on his play? Also, with Todd coming back, will Josie still be in charge of communication? Who will see more playing time? Much love, y'all. I'm learning Southern lingo already. And props to you, Ubening Lava. You spelled y'all correctly. I too often see it spelled Y-A apostrophe L-L. No, it's a contraction of you all. Y apostrophe A-L-L. Well done, Ubening Lava, from one Southerner You probably to can another. just skip the apostrophe and everyone will know what you're talking about. No, that's, that's wrong, too. <laughs> it's so easy to get it right. Just put the apostrophe after Y. Josie Jewell, though, to get back to his point, yeah, very worthy of praise. And and this, it's scheme for him. I made the argument in the offseason, no player was going to do, to benefit more from the scheme change than Josie Jewell. That's been borne out over the first two games. Yeah, he looks good. He looks faster. Uh, to answer the second question, Todd will be in charge of communication when he hits the field, I believe, and neither of them will see more playing time because in a perfect world, both of them will play the majority of the snaps. And the good thing about Todd coming back this week instead of last week, although I'm sure the Broncos would have liked him last week, is that he'll have two weeks of practice under his belt, so probably won't be much limitation, if any. So, Steve Atwater, HOF. I love that handle, by the way. If other teams can chip Miller and Chubb and completely negate our pass rush, why can't we do the same to help out Garrett Bowles? It doesn't make sense to keep doing the same thing with Garrett when it obviously isn't working. Why not slide a tight end over there and double-team his guy or use the running back to chip block? Have they attempted anything besides sliding his way to help him out? Remember back in the preseason, the hold on Garrett Bowles, Vic Fangio blamed on Troy Fumagalli and in, in failing to chip. But I'm sorry, I expect my first-round left tackle to be able to handle the vast majority of his assignments Without a chip, without help. He should be. You drafted him so you could put him on an island against an edge rusher and have him take care of his business. But you've learned without a shadow of a doubt that he can't do that. So now it's time to so you chip every time for him. And then the problem becomes you're taking a receiving target out of the equation. You're making things easier on the back end. And whether it's a, a tight end who's chipping or whether it's Royce Freeman or Philip Lindsay helping out or Devontae Booker if he gets in there. None of it's a It's good not situation. ideal. There's no ideal solution to this one. So Vic Fangio, went, when asked about similar problems with Isaac Yadam being attacked, says, you know, we, we slide to his way, we give him help all the time, but you can't do it every single play. I imagine he'd say the same thing about Garrett Bowles. He said, we give him all this help, we give him chips, we slide to his way, but you can't do it every single play. Would you guys agree with that? Or should they do it every single play. Hell, I'd put Elijah Wilkinson in there and just say, now you have two left tackles and or or Jake Rogers and just say, look, Jake Rogers, you're a tight end, but really you're just there to double team every single time with Garrett. Change his jersey number so he doesn't have to report as eligible every single time. Give him like 89 or something like that. Yes. And, and is, is he the uh, the holding patrol when he says sees Garrett holding, he like slaps his hand or something? Yeah, he grabs his, <laughs> he grabs his arm out from the outside of the shoulder pads. Do you guys remember Chad Mustard? No. No. Bronco in the mid-2000s, sometime tackle, sometimes tight end. The point is you give wow. him a tight end number, and he's effectively a big tackle. Before we go, do you want to talk about the comment that John Elway had? 
regarding Garrett Bowles. This was uh, this morning over on uh, KOA. Yes, and of course we also are still going to get to the question of the week presented by Sports Column, but why don't you go ahead, I please. think we got to discuss this. This is John Elway with Dave Logan and Rick Lewis Broncos radio team regarding Garrett Bowles' holding penalties. Quote, well, it's got to stop, period. There's no more excuses for it. He's had 26 holding penalties in the last two years. I think he means two three games. by that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So it's got to stop. The bottom line is if he thinks he's getting singled out, he is. He's got to understand that. He's got to understand what he's doing. And that was my question yesterday. Does he know what holding is? Does he know what he can and can't do? If he thinks he's getting targeted, he's got to realize he isn't. We'll keep working for it, and he's still a talented guy. He's in a situation we can't afford that, where we can't afford that. And even though three out of the four holding calls he got were on running plays, which are just which are just as important. Hopefully, with an explanation, a better understanding by him of what it is they're looking for. Dot dot dot. He cannot do that because it's beating us. Everyone has said the same thing without saying it, and that is everyone in the organization, and that is Garrett Bull should not be playing. Wow. Go on. But, th- but these are the most – these are clearly th- – this is the most clear language we have heard regarding frustration with Garrett Bowles from a coach or Broncos executive. I'm about to lose my mind <laughs> if one person talks again about Garrett Bowles not knowing the rules. Oh, my gosh. Whose I- job is it to teach him the rules? I- and how has it gone now three well, years without is, him learning them? This is where you wonder if it's, it's more on him. Because uh, I- I'm sorry. Yeah. They've been telling him. I mean, I- Jeff Davidson – didn't work out here as a line coach. Jeff Davidson was telling him what holding was and, and guiding him. Sean, <laughs> How Sean silly Coo- is this? Sean Kugler and Chris Strasser were doing it last year. They literally had, like, was it you or Troy Rank who said they had Tony Robbins on the sideline for him last, last year? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they, there's, there's no way he doesn't know what the penalty is. There's just, the problem is that he's, he doesn't know how to not do it. He just won't listen. This is this so, is. so you're of the mind that they've told him what holding is a hundred times, and he still doesn't actually know it. No, he knows. He's just it's it's, it's just not translating. It's a disconnect from what he's hearing and getting him to actually take in the technique that he's getting and put it out there in what he's doing in real time. Look, you can get it right in practice, and that's well and good. It's different in the games. We talk about that at every position. I just can't get over the embarrassment of the general manager of the team saying he needs to know what the <laughs> what the rules are. That's so damning. You know what would be the most damning question to ask, but it is now a fair question, is asking Garrett Bowles, do you know what holding is? Oh, my God. But from everything we've heard, that would be a fair question. And that kind of shows you where it's at right now. Holy cow. Wow. <laughs> I can't. And then also, I mean – you 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 worked you you studied him you talked with him pre-draft, and you picked him ahead of Ryan Ramchek. <laughs> I hope that Garrett has an amazing game and the Broncos win, so we don't have to talk about this. I anymore. do too. Um, all right. Confident in that? Nope. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, and speaking of the question of the week presented by Sports Column, and I guess we should have phrased this a little differently because a lot of people took exception to the phrasing here. But the question was, can the Broncos win you back by beating the Packers on Sunday? Now, we know you guys didn't stop being Broncos fans. It was more, can they win your confidence back? Right, right. Um, so that's my fault. I, uh, I worded that question. I should have changed it. So a lot of people here start with the fact that they never left, which we know you didn't. 
And the first one comes in from Eamon Badwin, and he says, I never left. <laughs> we here for 16 weeks no matter what, and we know, we know that. It was, it's more about a confidence thing, and, and Ben Adkinson says, they haven't lost me to begin with, but they do need to pick up a signature win and start living up to their talent and potential, and that's exactly what this would be this week. Rachel Blackford says, I'm always a fan, but ready? Okay, if rebuild is coming. Ride or die either way. So being more open to the losing part. Interesting. Yep. From Texas Bronco. Strong words here. Nope. Even if they pull off a win, this team is treading water at best. I want real change, and I want to see sustainable progress. Hope for the future, not hope on a week-to-week basis. Rebuild this mother lover. Well, that's a way of putting it. <laughs> Justin Jeffs. Haven't lost me other than bowls, LOL. Fair enough. Uh, Matt says, no need to win me back. It would make Sunday night so much better. Fair enough. Uh, Seth Moldenhauer says, if they win, sure. If not, embrace the tank. Oh, no. Zach G comes in with a gif, and it says, just sitting here waiting for hockey to start. Ouch. Oh, man. I saw a hockey game last night. It was preseason. It was preseason, though, and, and terrible. Uh, from Cope1771, I'll never leave. We may gripe and complain, but true fans never leave. It's my fault again. Did we get where, – where are we? All right, next I one's – I feel like I'm getting him in a different order. I we all get them in a different order. <laughs> okay. so it's some algorithm problem. Next one's from Dave Robertson. Beating the Packers will just be written off as a fluke because Aaron Rodgers broke a nail. We need to see the O-line improve, better red zone conversions, and some decent pressure on the quarterback. Small improvements make a big difference. And here's my biggest take on this. You do – there are so many holes that need to be plugged on this boat. But if you can fix a couple of them while somehow pulling off a win, then you once again have another chance to do the same thing the next week. Now you're a quarter of the way into the season. Maybe you've plugged three out of the four holes in the boat – and you're back to zero. But what other holes were created? That's the problem. Maybe you have an injury that creates another hole. It's uh, you know what Ryan Edwards and I call leaky boat syndrome. You plug a hole, but then two more get created. Totally. All I'm saying is look at the Packers. They are a very imperfect team right now. But they're 2-0. and And they've, lo- and they've learned and gotten better through two wins. The Broncos are trying to learn through losses. And you can't do that for too long. So, again... If you win here, you're one and two. Maybe you figured something out defensively that made you shore up a little bit and, and Garrett Bowles didn't hold anyone. Okay, step in the right direction. Now you come home to the Jags, and all of a sudden, if you can take another step in the right direction and get a win. Then you have some confidence going to L.A. where you've won the previous year. Yep. Even when things were going wrong. Here's one from Matthew. Unlikely they win, but I'll be cheering all the same. What is with this revolution post? Also, what are the odds Elway goes after Eli Manning? Hey, I like the fact that the Revolution Post is getting some buzz here. You'll see. The is Revolution all I'll say. is coming. And the odds of John Elway goes after Eli Manning. We talked about that earlier. Don't see it happening, but you know what? Because they got Joe Flacco, they're in great shape. But you know what? That would be a Broncos move, wouldn't it? Oh, why? <laughs> why? I don't, I don't think it'll happen. I think it's actually more likely that Tom Coughlin – if Gardner Minshew hits a wall and Nick Foles doesn't have a have much progress in his recovery, that Tom Coughlin, in a desperate moment, wakes up screaming in the middle of the night in his North Florida home and says, I got to get Eli back. Doesn't that have to happen soon for any of these? For Eli to still be alive? 
for any of these uh, to, to quarterbacks to be traded because what I've heard about the Steelers, and you guys may have talked about this earlier, but what I've heard about the Steelers is, oh, if Mason Rudolph can keep him afloat for a few weeks, and maybe that'll convince uh, the Steelers to go trade for Eli. But I think... No, then if, you'd ride Mason Rudolph if, if Mason he's doing Rudolph well. If Mason Rudolph wins a few games and they're still in it, aren't they going with him? They drafted him in the second? Third. Third. Oh, yeah, I did that yesterday, <laughs> too. Because remember, it, it, there was all talk about, oh, could he be a first rounder? He ends up slipping to the third. Nice guy. Looks like a tight end. For sure thought he was a tight end the first time I met him. Down um, the senior bowl, right? Yeah. It's yep. the Big Ben mold. Yes, yes. I think that's why they liked him so much is that they saw Big Ben without the off-field indiscretions and general surliness and chemistry issues in the locker room. Because Mason Rudolph does seem like a very fine fellow. He does. Um, but they but they use high draft capital on him. They at least have to give the guy a chance, right? Yeah. Yeah, a month, and then right. it, and but then here's the thing: if they do bad, it's and done. They, right, and if he does well, <laughs> then he keeps the job. Well, they traded Josh Dobbs to bring Jacksonville back into this because Dobbs is now a Jaguar. It's Mason Rudolph; he's the option. And then if he doesn't work out, they're shopping for a quarterback either at the trade deadline or in 2020. Is there a Did chance you know of- Josh Dobbs got a 47 on his Wonderlick? Yep. What was he like a mechanical engineering major at UT? That's crazy. I think so, or even like a yeah. Something crazy. Peyton Manning speaks highly of him. Yeah. And uh, what if the Broncos are facing Eli Manning next week? It'd be great news for the Broncos. No, it, they <laughs> won't make that trade that soon. Barring injury, it'll be the best mustache on any quarterback to play a game <laughs> at what is now known as Empower Field since Jake Plummer was ro- rocking the stash back in the <laughs> mid-2000s. The stash and back the blue blockers. stashed quarterbacks for the Broncos. Do... Uh, does Brandon McManus and Von Miller have to get rid of the stash? Next Von, week? I think Von did get rid he of did? this. Oh, he did. I, I think McManus. Ha- I think he has to ride it. I mean, you ride it, you fight, fight you in the mustache. Ride it until you miss. And the one that he missed doesn't <laughs> count. Didn't count. <laughs> Should he shave half of it off? <sighs> he can shave the. No, I think I think he sticks with the mustache. I think he continues to have the Freddie Mercury Flash Gordon shirt in rotation, and that's it. He I mean, he, he looks like a dead ringer for Freddie Mercury circa 1981. Think of this. <laughs> Go goatee, shave off the mustache, then it's a field goal post. <laughs> oh, oh, and then keep the uh, keep it between the... <laughs> wait, wait. You understand there's a Mrs. McManus who probably would have a, something to say about the facial hair choice, correct? Yeah. She's allowing this to go on. That's true. Well, the stash is fine. Yeah, you're right. And then you could have a little football (laughs) between the nose. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm going to tell this to him next time I see him. See if I can get him to do it. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. Zach, thanks for for jumping in here and joining us. Uh, (laughs) And we've almost uh, eclipsed two hours. So, And before we officially say goodbye, I want to tell you about our friends over at Piper Electric. If you're in need of a top dog electrician, for over 35 years, Piper Electric has been one of the most fairly priced, dependable, and trustworthy electrical contract companies in the Denver community. Call 303-646-6765, and they'll give you the BSN back-to-school hookup. Save you 20% off your next service call. No job is too big or too small for Piper. They work with the most professionalism and integrity in the biz, whether it's residential, commercial, or industrial work. Don't forget, all you got to do is call 303-646-6765 to receive 20% off your next service call. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.